This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. All you feline friends, this is Michelle Fern, host of Catitude. I have a great, great show coming up. It's from across the pond, as we say, over in the States at least, for all of those of you that are listening elsewhere. And I'm very excited. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Not pumped about cleaning the litter box? Try World's Best Cat Litter Zero Mess, the litter that gives you two times better clumping and more odor control with less litter. That's right. You scoop once and you're done. No chiseling, no scraping, no crumbling, no problem. Looking for fast and easy litter box cleanup? Zero Mess. Try it. You're welcome in advance. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to introduce you to Britt Collins. She's a British journalist that has written for many, many publications. And she's also an author of this great book called Strays. Welcome, Britt. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. This is a great book. And it's since everybody's listening, rather than, although you can always go to Pet Life Radio and go to Catitude, and there'll be a blurb of Brit and um, her book, and there'll be a link to her site. It's Strays. It's called The Lost Cat, A Homeless Man, and Their Journey Across America. Brit, tell us a little about yourself and what drew you to write about a stray cat. Well, I've always had cats. I mean, I, I've had cats from the cradle. I had 13 as a child, 13 cats, two dogs. I've been obsessed with animals forever. I absolutely adore them. And I've been rescuing cats pretty much since I was a child. In London, I must have rescued over 200 cats on my own. I neuter them, find them homes, do the homing, as well as sort of uh, being a journalist writing for The Guardian, for Harper's. I work 50, 60 hour weeks and I'd still constantly rescue cats. Neighbors would tell me about them. Colleagues, it's something that... I guess it's almost obsessive compulsive, really. And I'm a a long time vegetarian, well, vegan for the past 17 years. And I would hope that anyone who encounters a vulnerable animal would help. But I've missed flights, helping birds, cats. It's, I guess it's just a sort of a labor of love, really. And I found strays when I lived in Los Angeles for a couple of years. And I thought, gosh, this story is full of tenderness, love, loss, mystery, everything. I thought, I have to find this man. I saw the headline, homeless man travels 3,600 miles to take cat back home. And I immediately uh, stopped what I was doing. I was working another article for The Guardian, and I thought, I have to find this man. And two weekends later, we were in Portland filming him, Michael King, the cat, the cat's owner, the cat's brother, because after they traveled across America for 10 months and had lots of harrowing encounters, Michael decided to visit his foster father in Montana and they took her to the vet and she had a microchip. And of course, 
he chose to do the right thing to take the cat back home, even though it was crushing. So let me see if I understand, because I, I read the book, but for everybody that's listening, so you read an article about Michael King, who's um, the man portrayed in the book, and that was in, I guess, one of the LA publications. It was actually in the, the Montana Independent Record, where Michael King's foster father lives. And he was actually visiting his foster father uh, 10 months into the journey with the cat. And Walter, who had an elderly cat, insisted that he take Tabor to the vet, which is when they found that she had a microchip. So, of course, the vet there asked if he could talk to the papers because that was a wonderful story. And it might encourage people to microchip their free roaming cats or cats who are allowed outside. And it got syndicated in every paper in America. And, of course, the morning that it came out, I saw it and I thought, this is an extraordinary story. <laughs> this is the story I've been looking for in my whole life, you know. It's a great book, and it's very inspiring, and it, it's not only the human aspect, but the human and canine attachment, or just animals in general, but, you know, we're about cats here on Catitude, so it's hard to express the emotions, you know, it's just, um, there's a connection, and if anyone who has pets and cats or dogs. I have both, although I grew up with dogs, but I have cats now. I've rescued three, and that's who's on my crew. And I appreciate all your rescue efforts because I've done quite a bit too. And it's, I don't want to say a burden. It's a kind of a joy in a sense, even though it tasks, it's very tasking because it does, I think it just gives back. You know, as far as with all the strays, when you're able to, you know, get them fixed and get them adopted to their forever homes. But let's get back to the book. So how was it that you started writing this book? Well, as I said, I found the story, Homeless Man Travels 3,600 Miles to Take a Cat Back Home. And I thought, this is extraordinary. So I managed to track down his foster father in Montana. Then Michael rang me. Then I uh, got in touch with the cat's owner, Ron. This is what's so interesting about the story as well. Ron never stops, Ron, the cat's owner, never stops looking for Mata. The cat's real name is Mata Hari. Michael called her Tabor for the 10 months that he had her. But in those 10 months, he just falls apart. He consults psychics, cat whisperers, has crying spells in his attic. Mata has a brother called Crito. Now you have to realize he bottle fed these cats from when they were two weeks old They'd barely open their eyes, and they were dumped beneath a neighbor's porch with their litter mates. And he basically decided to raise these cats like children. So Mata was used to traveling because he took Crito and her brother everywhere. But those 10 months that she was missing, he never gave up on her because this is the second time she'd gone missing. He only got her back for three months. The first time, a neighbor who hated him kidnapped the cat, broke into his house, dumped her in the woods. She survived living wild in the woods. So the cat's own story is just epic as well. But her brother, uh, as well as her owner, were just falling apart in those 10 months she was gone. Crito, her litter mate, waited for her on the porch every night. I mean, it's just, it's so touching, the whole story, basically. It is very touching. And, okay, so I understand how you contacted Michael's foster father and did you fly to Montana and talk to Michael about the story? I flew to Portland. We, I don't know if you saw the book trailer. There's a short five-minute video two weekends after Michael took her back home. My husband at the time, who I'm divorced from now, I came back to London. He's still in L.A. We actually, when we moved to L.A., we dragged all five of our remaining cats and 
two and a half years later, our marriage fell apart and I went back home to London. But anyway, my husband is a filmmaker and he filmed Michael and Ron and Mada and her littermate, Krito. And then I started writing the book. I spent ages on uh, street corners with uh, Michael and his friends and in parks. And I went up there the following summer again to see both him and Ron. Michael invited me to Montana to meet his foster father, Walter. I mean, Michael has got a deeply sort of tragic past as well, which adds another sort of complex twist to the story. He's an extremely likable character. He kept running away from home as a child from a very troubled home. He ran away at the age of 13 for the first time and then just continued. And he finally got away at 16. He got himself a job. He enrolled at the local high school in Montana. And then the authorities, a few months down the line, found out that he was underage and told him he had to leave the state. So he came back to St. Louis, Missouri, from where he's from. But he was very unhappy and decided to run back to Montana and look for a legal guardian. He went to Alcoholics Anonymous, where he met Walter. He was a recovering alcoholic and a former Vietnam vet. And he became his foster father. And basically, he's been a sort of cocooning presence for the past 35 years. Yeah, it's quite amazing, really. It is. So how is Michael and Tabor, but she's also called Madahara? Yeah, her... Ron called her Matahari. Matahari, um, okay. Not, not Matahari the spy, but in the 70s, there was a children's program in America, apparently, called, I forget what's it called. It was basically a troop of chimps that were dressed in clothes, running a detective agency. And it was a spinoff uh, on the real detective, sort of Matahari. And Krito was the sort of uh, chauffeur. Matahari was the glamorous sidekick to this spy, I suppose. But Michael named her Tabor after the cafe where he found her in the rain that night in September 2012. She was basically injured. She was thin. She had a gash in her face. Her eye was swollen. And they had torrential rains after it hadn't rained for 51 days. It was about midnight. And he saw her trying to sort of, trying to, she was, she was completely soaked to the bone. But she was beneath this picnic table just terrified and he just took her back to his squat which was uh, a UPS loading bay a small alcove in the parking lot you know I wonder in hearing you know I read the story and hearing you describe it for our listeners in more detail in some aspects I wonder if Madahara was kind of sent to Michael somehow you know, the, uh, I don't know. I believe that things happen for a reason, and what goes around comes around. I believe in those two, like it's laws or rules or that. whatever. But we have a, a also a talk show, another talk show that's um about kind of animals in the afterlife. But this isn't that. This, you know, they. I think things always happen for a reason, and. Even bad things. Sometimes you don't know why these bad things happen, but there's a reason for it. And I just wondered, you know, because they helped themselves. They, together, they were stronger together than separate. And they helped each other greatly because now, is Michael sober now? He basically, he goes through patches. I mean, he went to rehab about 18 months ago. He became sober, but he kind of basically has relapses. I mean, one of the things that his foster father, Walter, said to me, actually wrote it in the afterward in the book, is that some people will never be sober in this lifetime. Uh, he was actually told this by 
a priest friend of his who basically tried to be sober for years and just gave up. And, you know, Michael might be one of those people, but he's sometimes sober, but he still lives in the street. And because he, he wants to, he's had such a tragic past on top of his difficult childhood. His partner died of AIDS and he works in a restaurant as a 60 hours a week as uh, a chef while caring for his partner. And that's after Michael Mercer, his partner, died. He decided to just go off and have an adventure. He didn't expect to walk into homelessness. But then he kind of adapted to the drifters that he met. He adapted to their way of life and decided to stay in the street because of the sense of community that they have there. So, And now he looks after street kids, teaches them to navigate street life. And I guess they find what they're lacking in their families or in their past, they find it in each other, in a sense. I don't know if that makes sense. But one of the things that uh, Michael told me, he he always felt that when he saw the cat carring beneath the table, he said a higher power told me to grab her. And then sort of 10 months down the line, he realized he was meant to take the cat to bring her back home to run bus. And he said he was just, he was meant to rescue that cat. So... And during the time that he had her, he would she even uh, affected his drinking habits. He would drink at night because he was scared that the cat would be taken away from him or he didn't want to draw too much attention to them. And he wanted to be able to care for her properly, which was quite amazing, amazing, you know? Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. But the fact that he did go to rehab and considered to stop drinking I mean, he drinks a lot less than he has, and he knows that his days in the street are numbered, really. He said and now that he said hitting 50 was a game changer because he, he can't take the sun like he used to anymore. And I guess it must be quite difficult physically and emotionally if, if you've been drinking for 30 sort of odd years, as he has on and off. I mean, even when he, when he was a chef, he drank. I guess people can be considered heavy drinkers who manage it. They lead sort of, um, they're functional alcoholics, I suppose, but they don't even realize it. That's what I was going to say, functioning alcoholic. I mean, there's some people that, and everyone listening, this is not judgment, but there's some people that they want their glass of wine every night. And in some places, people think that's excessive. And in other places, that's the norm. I think, you know, Anything that if you have to have it and it's required and, you know, a six pack a night, in my mind, my particular, you know, opinion, I think that's a little bit much. And But I'm not here to judge, you know. There's a lot of functioning alcoholics, a functioning, you know, drug abusers that are out there in the world. The scary thing is that some of them are in positions where they're driving vehicles or taking care of animals or children and that's the scary part but this isn't a show about that (laughs) i think the terrible thing is people who are heavy drinkers and they're abusive to their families or their partners to the animals in their lives the fact that michael looked after this cat with great care that he loved her and cared about her and you know still managed to do it while drinking is pretty amazing really and it shows that he wasn't that type of an abusive alcoholic. No, the fact is he looks after this cat and often often at great sacrifice to himself. I mean, throughout the book, if, as you'll see, they have quite a few harrowing adventures. Camping, they have encounters with bears. They escape a cattle stampede. And he manages to protect this cat constantly. They get picked up by a meth addict when they were in Idaho. 
Michael had to take over. I mean, the, the guy was tired and he was clearly sort of on drugs, kept trying to run over the rabbits on the road. And Michael, Michael worried about the local wildlife. And even though he was not allowed to drive, he had a couple of DUIs. He said, look, you must be tired. I'll take over the wheel. But he protected that cat under the most wrenching circumstances that most people wouldn't be able to cope with. Um, so it's quite commendable, really. It is. And he protected it from coyotes. They lived on a beach under a tree. And one evening they got circled by a coyotes. And he anticipated this would happen. And he tore the branches off the tree to create a hand and foot holds. And they practice every night like a fire drill to run up the tree in case coyotes or bobcats or any predators came. And one night, of course, they came and they circled him and the cat and ran up the tree. And, you know, that is quite incredible, really. Okay, we're going to be right back right after this break. Well, she's sitting curled up on my lap as we speak. <laughs> Beautiful Bella's my long-haired Dotson. She was thrown out of a pickup truck going 30 miles an hour, and she disappeared into the woods with the wild animals, uh, boars and coyotes. About four weeks later, she just appeared as she was a mess. Her fur was matted. She scratched almost nonstop. My friend suggested that I order this stuff called Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. She gobbles it up. She has been itch-free ever since, and her fur is gorgeous. Anyone out there who has a rescue dog, start them on a Dinovite diet for at least a 90-day period. They bond better with the people who take good care of them. They are going to be your buddy for a very, very long time. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com All right, welcome back everyone. Brett, this book is amazing and I think I'm going to ask it, but I think I already see the reason why. We have a lot of cat lovers and I've gotten such great feedback since I've taken over as show host and great suggestions on story ideas and so forth. Why do you think, you know, our audience of feline fanatics, cat lovers, you know, would enjoy this book? Well, I think it has everything. I think, as Jeffrey Mason says in my foreword, uh, people have always loved cats. And that the fact that they're all over the internet, there are books, films, I think it, people are just basically catching, they've always loved cats, but the world is just catching up with them, really. And the internet, in a sense, is almost like a vehicle for people who have cats to show off their cats, to create videos of them. And dog lovers have parks and they go outside, they sort of have each other. But now it's almost like a forum. But I think this story has everything. Uh, it's got extraordinary cat, an incredible homeless man who looked after her under the most trying circumstances, a devoted owner. It has every element of a sort of great story, you know, the, the, the love, the tenderness, the loss. And of course, it's got the mystery as well. I'm not going to give away too much. No, save the mysteries. Okay, for everyone that's listening, they're probably thinking, oh, this sounds very interesting to me. Where can people find your book? Well, it's everywhere. It's at uh, Barnes & Noble, 
at Walmart, Target, at local bookstores. Of course, they can get it on Amazon or any of the online stores, but mainly sort of the big stores like Barnes and Noble and Walmart. And I'm not quite sure what the big American stores are apart from Barnes and Noble. But you have a website, of course. Yes. And it's uh, they could also see it on Simon & Schuster, all the places where you can find it. It's been number one on Amazon for several weeks in the animal section. Oh, congratulations. Not just number one in um, hardback, but in all the other formats, it's in the top 10. (laughs) So it's quite strange. Four of the top 10 books are strays in the different formats. Well, that's fabulous. Now, what is your website if people want to find out about you and maybe email you questions or find out where they can see the trailer for the book? Oh, sure. I mean, the trailer is basically, it's been featured in a few places like Purrington Post, a Purrington Post. It's a a cat website. It's also on uh, The Conscious Cat, which is another popular cat website. Basically, it's all over the internet. It's also on my website. The trailer is quite moving. And my website is BrittCollins.net. So that's B-R-I-T-T-C-O-L-L-I-N-S.net. Okay, wonderful. Brett, one thing I thought was extraordinary about your book, as far as you have an author's note, Rescue, Don't Buy, and I'm a big fan of rescuing and have done quite a lot of especially kitten rescues lately. But why did you include this in the book? Well, when I was researching it, it's also something as a rescuer myself, something I've always known. So many people buy animals uh, and it really upsets me. The shelters destroy them by the millions, not just in America, but in the UK, all over the world. Because people might sort of get attached to a particular breed. But of course, any breed that you want, Taimese, Maine Coon, they get dumped too. I mean, you could get rescues. Kittens are also another problem in America. A lot of shelters kill them because they don't want to waste their resources on them. People who think, oh, I'd rather buy, uh, I'd rather rescue an adult cat because kittens get rescued. But that's a bit of a misconception because a lot of the uh, big shelters, the ASPCA, the no-kill shelters, which is the majority of them, they automatically kill kittens because they don't want to waste their resources. They actually call the kitten season the killing season. It's really quite heartbreaking. But another thing that really disturbed me is 30% of the animals that have homes in America, they come from shelters. The other 70% are bought from breeders, from pet shops, from the internet. And that's really quite awful when you consider that almost 7 million cats and dogs are put to sleep, healthy, adoptable cats and dogs. So I really want to sort of inspire people to rescue that stray outside their doorstep or from a shelter. I mean, never, never under any circumstances to buy animals, even if they want a pedigree, rescue it. Because there are societies for every type of breed of cat and dog, rabbit or anything else that you want, because they ultimately get dumped too, or they get dumped on a really disturbing scale. So I thought... It was so incredible, the impact that this little cat had in the lives of these two men. And the cats and dogs that we ourselves have, you know, how much they give us, really. So I think it's important to to give animals a chance to give them their lives. And we're so wanton about everything. And a lot of cat books don't talk about this. They might sort of have a, a nice story, but they don't talk about sort of the impact of millions of healthy animals being destroyed. 
and breeders and pet shops contribute appallingly to the overpopulation. I think we're getting stronger and stronger in the U.S. for rescues. There's a lot of foundations and a lot of just about every, you know, I also host Best Best for Pets, which is a pet product show. And so many of the products that I talk about, they also have a foundation where they donate or assist rescues and so forth. So I know that that's on the upswing. There's just the talk about it tells me that there is an increase in awareness out there, you know, for more and more people to rescue. Well, absolutely. The fact that there's such a thing as a no-kill movement, that it exists and that that big animal societies like the Best Friend Animal Societies in Utah and NKLA, the fact that these places exist and they're spearheading this movement. I mean, 10 years ago, about 15 million cats and dogs were killed. Now it's down to about 7 million, but it's still 7 million too many. And then you're not even tackling the issue of the 70 to 80 million cats living on the street, strays. True. So that's why it's so important to adopt and help save an animal rather than buy them. Because then the other issue is the kitten and puppy mills, where they breed animals relentlessly until they drop dead. So you don't want to support this trade. And there's something really, really rewarding rescuing a cat or a dog when they're thin and injured and you see the months on the line and they're happy and glossy. It's like winning the lottery every time. It's extraordinary. Well, we've been rescuing a lot. We have rescued two litters of kitties and um, found them homes. And unfortunately, the, the mama cat and the daddy cat were community cats, but they are happy out there. We just feed them, got them fixed. But some community cats are just, and this is a whole other show, but <laughs> some community cats are just, they just will not be indoors. They're not happy. We tried, she was in a enclosed patio. She actually just scaled the screen. It was a screen patio and just was going nuts. So she's our outdoor cat, you know, it's just how I it is. They're ferals. I guess if they're ferals and they're too wild, then I guess it's important that they're just in a safe uh, set of environment and then they're neutered. You know, that's yeah. that's a real sort of like big issue. So. A friend educated me on feral. Ferals are cats that are not friendly around humans or won't even go near humans. This is what I was told. They're not habituated to humans. They're scared, you know. I mean, and if you can sort of provide them a safe environment or if they're fed regularly and they're neutered, that's fine. Or if they're barn cats... I mean, it's better to have a life where they're getting some care and fed rather than being den- denied their lives and putting, being put to sleep. You know? Oh, of course. Thank you so much, Britt, for coming on Catitude and telling us about your wonderful book called Strays. And I think for all of you, everyone who has cats or has, just wants a cat or just loves a good book, this is a great book. And it was just very heartwarming. So thank you very much for coming on Catitude. Thank you for having me, Michelle. It was great. Thank you. What a great show and so interesting. Okay, if you like books and you like cats, and I think that's most of the people that are listening to Catitude, you have to check out Strays by Britt Collins. It's such a heartwarming book. It, it makes you feel good inside and it's emotional, but it's very heartwarming. And it makes a great gift too for any cat lover or someone who wants to have a cat. And as always, there'll be more information on Pet Life Radio under Catitude. I'd like to thank my crew, Dennis, Charlotte, and Molly. They all stayed near my cat crew while I was reading the book. 
And I'd like to thank my producer, Mark Winter, for making me and my guests sound good. And to everyone listening to Catitude, I'm getting some great emails about different story ideas. Thank you, thank you. And I am taking all of them into consideration. If you have any, just email me at michelle at petliferadio.com. Um, they're coming up. I'm getting a lot of great ones. So if you don't get a response right away or don't hear your story idea right away, don't think I didn't hear or didn't listen. I read every email. So thank you and stay tuned. We have more great shows coming up. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.